This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Nobody's ever won four elections in a row as prime minister. Nobody has. And few have tried. We just saw Stephen Harper try in 2015 to win a fourth straight election. But usually, I always say, the train is coming. The train's coming. Get out of the way if you choose. And and by the way, the shrapnel and the carnage and all that stuff, that'll depend on how long, how overly long you've stayed your welcome. Kathleen Wynne, train came for her and the Ontario Liberals in 2018 and still a lot of reverb effects last summer. We were talking about that yesterday with trying to find the right leader and the Liberals asking, what can we do to fix this, save this? A fourth competitor is planning, I mean, that's the plan, that seems pretty universal, to take on Justin Trudeau after Stephen Harper, Andrew Scheer, Aaron O'Toole tried. And I'm kind of on record. I think Pierre's got a shot to do it. And maybe he has a better shot than Aaron O'Toole, but maybe he doesn't. There's a lot of energy around Pierre Polyev. There's a lot of fundraising. But the name of the game is winning seats. The name of the game is winning seats. And I watched some of the footage last night. I'm not going to play it for you. It's the typical stuff. And by the way, it's that's no party bias. Far from it. But Justin Trudeau was at the Liberal Convention yesterday, their National uh, Assembly riling people up and talking about Pierre Polyev. It sounded like it was 2014 again. He's speaking to the party faithful at the Liberal Convention, and he's talking about Polyev's populism, the slogans, the buzzwords, etc., etc. Meanwhile, he's very aware. I'm going to come back to why I don't think he's going to run in a minute, but he's very aware that uh, one-time Minister of the Environment, Catherine McKenna, key cabinet member in the first two governments, the 15 government and the 19 government, not the 21 government, because she decided she would step away from politics. She sent this tweet out yesterday, and it's the most damning, uh, critical, scolding, um, absolutely uh, negative tweet in a good way, in, in, in like the way that I think people are going, yeah, maybe this is merited here. Um, towards Prime Minister Trudeau that I can remember. Here's what she wrote, that a bunch of folks in official Ottawa knew that MP Chong's family was being targeted by the Chinese, decided not to tell him, and no apparent consequences is appalling on a personal, political, and diplomatic level, but not surprising based on my experience. Be serious. A lot of people saw that tweet. A lot more people will see it today. Not necessarily because I mentioned it, but it's going to gather some 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 momentum here. And I think maybe at some point somebody can get in front of the prime minister and ask him about it. I mean, he was asked yesterday after saying we just found out about all this stuff with MP Chong's family on Monday because we happened to pick up a copy of the Globe and Mail. I don't doubt that the prime minister sees the Globe and Mail and what's written and whatnot. But but let me as good a reporter as Robert Fife is and as good a reporter as Stephen Chase is to quote John McEnroe, you cannot be serious to make me think they could find something out that our top spies couldn't couldn't push towards the prime minister's office. And it turned out yesterday that CSIS had the receipts and they sent it to the prime minister's office. Jody Thomas knew about these uh, uh, these targetings in the summer of 21, about four months prior to the election. I get it. So much of this can seem like this is in the air and that's in the air. But I'm telling you, when Catherine McKenna attacks Justin Trudeau, like harshly, they're in huge trouble. She admits the government is dysfunctional. The government is unethical. 
The government's failing to do its job. And as I said yesterday about the tweet, this is now considered brave. Remember, people now, when they actually say, that's brave to say that. What? To say something that's true? To say something that's in your heart? To say something that you absolutely think is more the right thing than the wrong thing? To be honest? To not play favorites? To do colleagues proud, present, and former? And you don't give a rip about how it plays. That's what Catherine McKenna did yesterday. That's exactly what she did. And by the way, if you think, well, is this all just about the past? What happened in 21 has already happened. What about our next election? This is the one thing that's made us distinct. It's the one thing in my lifetime I've never questioned at the municipal level, at the provincial level, at the federal level. And it's whether or not we got a fair and just election result. You won't like it all the time. Your team lost. Your team won. Your guy won. Your girl lost. That will happen from time to time. That's called democracy. Margaret McQuaig Johnston was on with Alex Pearson yesterday. She knows her stuff here. Okay. She's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And she said, of course, there's the present to deal with. There's the who knew what when to deal with. But there's also the next time we go to the polls federally and making sure this is a process that doesn't have any stickiness to it because of Chinese election interference. Well, I'm most concerned about going into our next election without knowing yeah. whether um, China is uh, undertaking uh, illegal campaign donations, as they've done in the past, as it's been shown from the leaks, uh, and, and disinformation campaigns that could make candidates lose. There are a whole range of things that they've been accused of uh, in the thesis reports that have been leaked by some brave or several brave uh, public servants. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the fact that we don't have a fix for this yet is mm-hmm. really concerning. And, uh, and we need a public inquiry, but we also need shorter term measures that will go into place yeah. before the next election to, to fill in some of these uh, gaps in our system. Yeah, and you know who doesn't want to be here to sort all this out? Justin Trudeau. Wait a minute. He said he was running yesterday. Wait a minute. Let me wait. Let me give you a wait a minute. That's your standard. Justin Trudeau said it. So it's going to happen. And it's the gospel. He isn't running again. The backbenchers don't want him to run. The cabinet ministers that will still remain don't want him to run. That doesn't mean they have an ideal candidate, but it doesn't have to. This will be his decision. And he's gone. He is not running again in a federal election. Let me assure you. And I'll keep doing it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Happy to eat it. Happy to eat the wrongness when it comes around. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Our next guest is running for mayor of Toronto. He is a current city councillor and he joins us now. He is Josh Matlow. It's great to have you on. Um, All right. A Greenbelt Leaders Council. You announced this yesterday and I find it really intriguing and it's got some some mix with the federal government. Um, Explain what it is and, and why it's important. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. So, um, as most of us know, our green belt is it's the largest in the world, and its purpose is to protect our our prime agricultural lands, forests, wetlands. Um, you know, the rivers that flow through Toronto, uh, whether it be the Humber, the Don, the Rouge, the Topico Creek, have their headwaters there. That's where they come from. And in fact, a lot of people think that our green belt is outside of Toronto. Well, a lot of it is, but it actually runs right through Toronto, through the urban river valleys, like right down to Lake Ontario. So our green belt is 
um, is, is a natural legacy that protects our environment and our food security. And, um, but as we know, Premier Ford has been selling off parts of our green belt uh, to his friends. And, you know, so my position is uh, this, you know, this, her green belt is a gift to our kids. It shouldn't be a giveaway at a stag of dough. It's just not right. And, you know, it, it, we need to take a stand when, uh, when our green belts uh, could get paved over. So, um, but we can't do it alone. So I announced that I'm uh, going to be rallying municipal leaders along with indigenous leaders throughout our region. Uh, throughout the municipalities uh, that share the green belt, to work together to to push back against urban sprawl, we're not going to passively sit by and allow our green belt to be chopped off and, and sold off to special interests who who donate to <laughs> to, <laughs> to the governing party. But we're going to uh, you know intervene when we need to uh, litigiously when necessary. We're going to challenge uh, the Ford government uh, when and if mm. they move ahead with selling it off. Uh, I also uh, announced that uh, we would have a ne- we would negotiate a, a memorandum of understanding with the federal government to do uh, federal impact assessments when the province fails to act. Um, and you know what I've seen uh, very recently is that Minister Guibo, uh, the Minister of the Environment, has demonstrated a keen interest in protecting the green belt, and I'd want to work with him along with my colleagues throughout the region. And the last thing I just want to mention is uh, I, want, I want a green gravel standard, meaning rather than seeing more and more of the green belt dug up uh, through gravel mining, we should be using recycling aggregates, recycled aggregates, uh, which is in abundance uh, as we move forward as well. There's always that balance with the environment. I think we would look and say uh, pr- building and, and protecting the environment can't always go hand in hand. I think we'd agree on that. We need houses and we need them stat. We This is, an, this is a five-alarm emergency. And, and then when we need houses, we need community centers or, or gyms or stores yes, yes. to be built on, I guess, what we'd consider green space. What does that balancing act in the city of Toronto look like to you? It, 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 it's not even about a balancing act. We but it is, it is in a way. Uh, but, well, hear me, please. It's not, it, we need both. In other words, rather than balance, we actually need to move forward with both. We need more houses. We need more homes for people. We need affordable homes. We're in the midst of an, uh, an affordable housing crisis. And, and, you know, a significant part of my platform is focused on building affordable homes for people. That being said, whether you live here today or you are the many people who intend to move to our region in the future, people need community centers, child care, they need parks, they need infrastructure, uh, they need access to schools, they need all of that. And our region will need a healthy, natural environment, and we are going to need some of the most uh, prime agricultural lands in the country to have our food security for generations to come. In other words, as we grow, we need to focus on affordability as a number one priority, but we cannot neglect our environment and food security while we do, because all of us today and our kids are going to depend on that. I know you were out long before um, the uh, the mayoral election was even announced, and you talked about the Gardner East project. And I think you're seeing this. I don't know that I'm doing it, but I'm seeing it. Some people are saying this candidate's pro-transit, this candidate's pro-car. I'll ask about the balancing act there. There are many people that would point and say not continuing the building of the Gardner is is almost anti-car. And I hear people saying, who especially live in the 905, 
if you if you had the transit system that I wanted, if you had the transit system that was efficient, I, yeah. I would take my car less. So what that what's that balancing act? I'm sure you hear from voters who who have to drive. They have to drive and need that and need that gardener. So it's I, I find I find that debate uh, so sometimes um, like just unnecessarily hyperbolic. Like this becomes this kind of stupid divisive debate. Uh, between uh, cars and bikes and transit and all this. The reality is uh, any of us who drive uh, benefit when more people have other modes of transportation. So in other words, you know, when, when we when we get upset about the traffic that we are trapped in, whether it be on the garden or any other streets, we're also part of that traffic. And, you know, so it's important to acknowledge that if there are safe ways to get around by bike, if, if, if transit, uh, this is why I'm reversing the cuts to transit because I want it to be, affordable, reliable, safe, um, that, you know, then there's fewer people actually competing with you on the road when you're in your car. It, everybody wins when we uh, create a multimodal city. I and mean, that's why cities are moving in this direction. It's good for our environment. It's good for our quality of life. And it helps everybody to get around. And the reality of the gardener is, and, and so some people sort of, I, I think, misunderstand what we're actually debating. Nobody's suggesting that the whole gardener is going to get torn down. Um, and in fact, there's not even a debate about whether the section uh, east of Jarvis or at least from Cherry over to the Don is going to get torn down. Mm-hmm. It is going down because it's crumbling. Like it, it's, it's not safe. It's not sustainable. Nobody suggests that it's safe to keep that up. The question is, do we rebuild it in an elevated form or do we rebuild it on the ground? If we rebuild it, so we're still, I still believe we need to connect the DVP to the rest of the gardener, which will continue to stand. But the question is, do we sink another, you know, billion dollars um, toward um, an elevated uh, section, or do we spend the money in actually fixing our city, including, I mean, that budget sucks up being able to fix local roads on your street, no matter where you live in the city, which today have potholes and cracks all over the place. Never mm-hmm. mind improving access to rec programs for our kids yeah. and, imp- and fixing park bathrooms and, you know, fixing the services that have been declining for so many years. So yeah. and investing in housing. So what Torontonians are telling me is, given that the city has a big budget shortfall, you know, just like our own households, you've got to make some difficult decisions. You've got to get serious. You've got to be adult in this and not promise everything to everybody. You've got to make decisions about how to spend money. And that's what I'm doing. Josh Madlow's given us some extra time here. I want to talk about uh, homelessness. You noted there's going to be a recommendation coming to declare it an emergency. It certainly is that. You probably yeah. hear from people in 905 communities like my own. We're just colloquially seeing more people, more instances of it, more people coming to our cars, more people at intersections. It's clearly like we've just headed in the wrong direction here. I'm aghast this wasn't more of a priority last October when we had a municipal election, but here we are. I agree. I mean, one of the challenges with even the discussions in the last uh, municipal elections is we really haven't had a contested mayoral race for at least a couple of terms. So I think it's really healthy that we are now and that we're, we're able to focus on these priorities. And, you know, one of, one of the priorities of our city and our region and cities most everywhere these days is that uh, there there is a homelessness uh, emergency. Uh, there is a mental health crisis. Uh, there is a housing and poverty crisis. And, 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 and all of this was exacerbated by the pandemic. And we're experiencing... Um, a lot of people who, uh, you know, 
are are both unwell, but also don't have the supports they need uh, to to live the lives that they that they would like to, and that's you know we have a responsibility to support. So, um, you know, the number one thing that we need to do is ensure that there is access to housing, um, the and 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 reliable places for people to to go. I know people, uh, frankly, who are you know middle to upper middle class who have. Uh, whether they go through mental health challenges or addiction challenges, but because they have a home, some are, you know, some hide it, uh, some are, are better able to manage it, but because they have their home, they've got, they've got a place to go from. But if you're on the streets, uh, it's much harder. Um, we also need to make sure that for those who do need admittedly a Band-Aid solution, which is shelter and respite support, that that be available and that we don't just call our shelters safe indoor spaces, but we actually improve them so that uh, our homeless population would rather go there than sleep in a park or on our streets. A lot of people, big reason why a lot of people are in the parks or on the streets is because they actually don't feel safe in the shelter system for a good reason often. And we need to improve that. And I, you know, I disagreed with the, with the last mayor who would say like everything, you know, it's all safe. It's, it's not. A lot of people feel unsafe for their body, their property. They got 3M bed checks. They sometimes are thrown into a room with a stranger. Uh, I, I get why why some people don't want to be there. Um, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and then ultimately, I think we need to invest into earlier interventions into 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 the lives of our youth who are at risk to go down that path, and the, the better opportunities they have with respect to trauma counseling and much more the better opportunity we, we have to have a safe and healthy community. And you've talked about keeping schools open at, at night for that purpose, yeah. library for activities and, and, and recreation, Sunday. playing yeah. basketball, playing floor hockey, volleyball, whatever. You've yeah. talked about keeping libraries open. You've costed, you've costed a lot of this stuff out. And that's the Very one thing I hear from people. They, they say, Josh came on your show and announced he was running for mayor. And he said, there's going to be uh, their taxes will will go up, not significantly, but enough that yeah, some of this stuff yeah. can be funded. So I'm going to I asked you before, I'm going to ask you if this is frustrating that there are other candidates oh, not costing things out. You are. They're not. People don't have to agree with all your policies, but you're yeah, telling I mean, them what they cost. I like the reality of our city, as you know, Greg, is that. Um, we have a, we have a massive budget shortfall this year. We're facing a forty six billion dollar budget pressure over the next ten years. So anybody who says that we're not going to need uh, more revenue to be able to pay for the things we uh, need, it, they're not being upfront with you. Like they're going to have to do that. I'd rather just say it out loud. Like just say this is what we need to do. And you know the reality is that even with a two percent tax increase, a dedicated tax. Uh, toward a city works fund so that we can actually start fixing our city. Um, what it really comes down to is 67 bucks a year for the average homeowner. So that, that for, per month, that's $5 and 55 cents mm. less than Netflix. Like it, 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 I'd rather invest directly into improving those services that have declined. I, I want our city to work. I want it to be safe. I want it to be affordable. I want it to be livable. But we can't pretend to do all that if we're not going to pay for it. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be cutting the waste. And that's why I look at that segment of the gardener as an example of where we could save hundreds of millions of dollars and invest it into the actual priorities that we have today. The entire roads budget is getting sucked up into that. I mean, it's, it's absurd when we have a dearth of funds. So I'd rather just say, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to pay for it. 
um, be clear that we do need revenue to be able to do that. And then people can judge that. But at least I'm telling you exactly what I'm going to do. One on immigration. I've always, um, I don't know if I've joked, I'm actually quite serious. When you're at a backyard barbecue and you announce to the backyard barbecue, I have some opinions on immigration. Everybody stops and your spouse uh, grabs your hand and says, honey. But anyway, I'm going to point it out this way that I hear from Toronto's taxpayers and they say we feel like we're subsidizing immigration and it's necessary. It's necessary for jobs. It's who we are. We welcome people in. But Toronto feels like they're paying it themselves. Now, I know you've been critical of people who say, well, we'll get the province to pay for this and we'll get the federal government to pay for that. And it might be a pipe dream. But I do think it's valid for Toronto's taxpayers to say we feel like we're footing the bill for immigration and refugee policy that the federal government orchestrates. Well, both are but both are true, meaning that. Of course, the federal government should be paying for their responsibilities, just like the province should be paying for, you know, reliable ongoing operating costs of the TTC, because it's, it, it's not sustainable to, uh, you know, pay for our transit through 75% of the revenue coming to the fare box. No other system in the world really works that way, just like the province should be paying for social housing and other provincial responsibilities. That all being said, though, I mean, yes, they should upload the Gardner and the DVT, but they said they won't. So, yes, that's all true. But at the same time, while I negotiate for not only a new deal for Toronto, but challenge the other governments to step up to their responsibilities, my job as mayor will also be to get our own house in order. So I can't just blame the other governments because then you just you don't get on with actually focusing on the priorities. You've got to do both. And that's the reality of, of the leadership of our city. We need to challenge the other governments to do their part. But at the same time, we need to get our own house in order and get real about our own finances so we can focus on our services and priorities. Uh, I've kept you long, but I'm going to ask you this. You were supposed to be on Alex Pearson's show Wednesday with another mayoral candidate, um, and you weren't. I wanted to know uh, what happened there. This would be like if I asked you to play table tennis with me. and, and <laughs> It's not quite the same, a little back and forth, but what, ha- what happened Wednesday? Well, actually, this would be like if you asked me to play table tennis with you and I said yes. And then you said, oh, by the way, <laughs> I, want, I want to invite some friends uh, uh, to like, you know, um, uh, play. And we haven't discussed that yet. So what I would say, because <clears throat> I spoke with my team uh, about what happened. Um, so their understanding was that I was going to come on and speak with Alex. And I would always be happy to speak with Alex. Um, then it was clarified that uh, I think the, their producer wanted to have a sort of a, a, a pundit kind of panel where uh, I would go on with with one of the one of the candidates of I think like sixty or seventy people have signed up and and criticize each other's uh, platforms. I I'm not interested in doing that. Um, what I my campaign and I know this isn't a conventional way of doing things, but I believe in it is to focus on what I'm advocating for for our city. So I've been putting out very substantive policy announcements that are fully costed, ways to make our city work better, safer, more, you know, more affordable, more livable. I'm not spending time going through and criticizing uh, other candidates, and I'm just not interested in being a pundit in an election okay. that I'm running in. But do you know, do you know there's another panelist that's running for mayor that you're going to be on with? You know that in advance, but you you think the tone just was? You can control the tone, though. You're you're doing it right now. So, uh, well, uh, again, what 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 my team has shared with me is that their initial understanding was that I 
that they were confirming that I was going to go on uh, with Alex. Yeah. And I think that there was a text sort of saying, oh, and like uh, that, that you're going to sit on a panel and criticize um, somebody else's uh, platform and they're going to do that with you. And, and, and our choice is that's not what we're interested in doing. Um, there are, um, again, between 60 and 70 uh, candidates. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, I think it's important that we participate in, in, in the, the debates that will happen with a number of candidates. And, um, and I will be going on and speaking about what I am running on and what I am doing this for, for Trontonians, for our priorities. But just honestly, Greg, to sit um, with one of the many candidates and just go through their platform and start criticizing things is not what I'm running to do. I got gotcha. you, but uh, but to me, and I'll, that's the last I'll, I'll say on this. Sure. It, 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 I th- I think you could just say that's an in- in- interesting idea. Here's my idea. Here's how I would do it differently. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So so you I, can. I'm I think sure, you control sure the you narrative could. and the tone if if you're if you're willing to do that or not. No one's going to make you. I think, no one's going to be disappointed if you're not yelling and shouting. We're not making this the Morton I, Downey show, right? Right. <laughs> you remember that show? I think. I do, I do. Yeah, that was a bit of a bad show. Um, listen, I, I agree with you. And I think I think your point is fair. It was the if you read um, as I have now, it was it was brought to me uh, last night. Um, if you read the way that they that that the producer of, of Alex's show was sort of setting it up, you you'll know what I mean. It was set up I, to be sort of like I go through and I criticize them, and they go criticize uh, my platform, and it's just honestly, it's just not. If it's not you, it's not you. You can say yeah, that. That's fine. Not, That's yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. It, like, and, I, it, and I don't mean to like, I don't mean to diminish it. It's more that it's just not what we want to do. We really, we really want to focus on like yesterday, for example, the same morning. Uh, that's when I went out and and made my announcement about the green belt. And that, and so when we go out and we announce policy, like substantive policy, um, the less time that uh, that I take to sort of go through other people's things and criticize uh, them. And again, there's 60 or 70 other candidates. I just, yeah. I, I'm not running to do that. I really, I know you're supposed to, I get that every day. I like, I get criticized by other candidates and then I have a reporter uh, yeah, come yeah. put a mic in my face and go, how do you want to react to that? <laughs> and I just, like I say, that I just, I'm not interested in that. Like, I'm not, I like, when I talk with Trontonians, they really want me to focus on their priorities rather than attack other people, and I just don't want to do that. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. You said your piece. Yeah. I said mine. I appreciate you coming on <laughs> today, you. and have a great weekend. You too. There's Thanks. Josh Madlow. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Yesterday was a quiet day on the, to me, on the Sarah Jamma front. We talked about it on the show yesterday. If you missed the story, uh, she had to delete a tweet. This is about, what, she, she was sworn in maybe seven weeks ago. It wasn't that long ago. Um, and there were a lot of people raised concerns about some of her social media, but also some of her public declarations um, ab- about Jewish people and about the police in Hamilton. There have been some very problematic things being said. And again, what do I say? The Middle East is complicated. It's remarkably complicated. And you can criticize policy and you can criticize politicians and you can say, this is the solution I'd like to see. But but you can do it. You can do it in a way that's not how Sarah Jammett did it. I was super disappointed the NDP just put out a, a statement. I thought it was pathetic. And I thought Mart Stiles should have been in front of a microphone, probably with Sarah Jammett, saying, 
we recognized this this was wrong. We got this dead wrong here. And Marit Stiles should be putting her own reputation on the line. If you believe in this person and this person screws up again, then then you should you should link yourself to her and go, I believe in this person or I don't. Because that's what life is. Life is is I got you and you've got me. But if you go down, I'm going down with you. I saw none of that yesterday. An absolute absolvement of responsibility from the NDP. So I think it's worth asking where it goes from here. Howard Eisenberg's the president of the Hamilton Jewish Federation, and he joins me now on Toronto Today. Howard, thank you for making the time to come on. My pleasure to be here, Greg. What have you made of the reaction the last 48 hours, the initial tweet, the initial deletion of the tweet, and and the NDP's response to it as a party? Well, based on recent history, it's no real surprise. Um, I think Sarah Jama has an innate uh, dislike towards our community. I don't know why. I think she's an anti-Semite. I do. Uh, I, you know, the track record's there. I don't easily label people anti-Semites because it's, it's, not, a, it's not a good label. And uh, it's pejorative, but in her case, it's, she's earned it. Right. Um, I, think, I think the larger problem is the uh, way that the uh, Ontario NDP have handled her. And uh, I think they're in a bit of a bind. I'm not an expert on provincial politics, but I think there's a problem for them between what Sarah Jama is saying, which I'm sure they they can't stand. But on the other hand, uh, Hamilton Center is a very strong NDP riding, both provincially and federally. And I think Sarah Jama uh, gets a lot of her support from the uh, federal NDP uh, representative, Matthew Green. And so it's a real dilemma for them. I w- kid, sorry, go ahead. Greg. Well, I was just going to ask. I wondered if t- th- this is me, b- but I'm not Sarah Jama. It- it- once I get elected, I think I go, okay, you know what? There has to be a way to move forward. There has to be a way to build bridges here. And I would have anticipated, at least for show, Howard, there there being some effort from Jama to reach out to Jewish communities, to reach out to to all sectors of of the Jewish community in Hamilton and and say, I want a fresh start, I want to move forward. Has there been any of that? Have you ever had a conversation with her? No, no. And in fact, uh, about one or two days before the actual vote, uh, she and Merritt Stiles had made, you know, apologies uh, to us saying that, oh, you know, she shouldn't have said those things and going forward, she's not going to say those things and we're going to reach out and, you know, that kind of thing, but it hasn't happened, at least not yet. And what I saw from, uh, look, I think you're right. I don't doubt Andrea Horvath, that's her seat. She's the current mayor of Hamilton. I don't doubt she's, she's absolutely beside herself that, that, that somebody replacing her and the legacy that she had as a leader and as an MPP, that somebody has, has gotten themselves into this hot water by, through no other virtue of, of her own opinions and words. I don't doubt, you know, Marit Stiles is mortified by this, but that's the private feeling. You have to attack this publicly, and, and Stiles hasn't. But Andrea, Andrea, since she's become mayor, to her credit, has reached out. Right, right. And has been extremely, extremely uh, willing to work with us and supportive of us. And perhaps she wasn't always that way when she was an MP, but we have no complaints about her as a mayor. 
so it's interesting. Where could this possibly go forward? When when you get reaction from people in the Jewish community in Hamilton, um, do they feel this this is just a person that is going to mess up again? This is a person that is is not interested in, in building bridges or even having dialogue? We've all probably, to be honest, have had the wrong thing come out of our mouth in an animated discussion about complicated issues, the Middle East being one of them. And then someone says, hey, let me let me catch you on this. And generally speaking, 99.9% of us listen and go, I see why that would, would, would land that way, and I can use different language next time. There just doesn't seem to be that sense about this. Well, part of the problem, I think, is, is just apathy. Uh, you mm. know, the, the uh, turnout for the by-election was 22%, which, which I think is pathetic. And uh, so I don't know how many people are really not just in our community, but overall are, are really engaged on this issue. I think, I think there's, there's gotta be more political engagement for this to really, you know, spike up. But in, in our role as a, as a federation, you know, we certainly have to be careful in that we don't endorse political, we can't endorse political candidates, but we can certainly speak on issues and, you know, tell people what's happening and look, we hope that uh, she comes around, Sarah Jama, yeah. com- comes around and, and, you know, approaches us and realizes that, uh, you know, we are a thriving community in Hamilton. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people in our community don't live in Hamilton Center, but I don't think that really should matter. Uh, but the other, the other provincial representatives have not you know, express any kind of, you know, animus towards us. Yeah. So this seems a very isolated incident with one representative. I think so. Uh, you know, I think she's an outlier. Uh, I was really surprised that she retweeted. I, we had thought that, uh, this was going to stop and considering her position, she really should know better than to, than to retweet a, a tweet that was sympathetic towards a uh, a Palestinian uh, terrorist who died in uh, in prison. Uh, just, it just, I don't get it. Yeah, no, no, it it landed it landed badly. But again, I I see just very. It's one thing for the NDP to say, well, she, you know, neither she nor we endorse the tweet. And I'm like, it's her tweet. Like, if you tweet something, you're endorsing it. If you tweet something, those are your thoughts. We we all put on our bio sometimes. Hey, these are my thoughts only. So we don't get our our company or our colleagues in any kind of hot water if we get in hot water. And she's done the opposite of that here. Yeah, it's it's just. Uh, Surprising that she she wouldn't have a stronger reaction towards that for sure. We'll see where it goes, and and like I said, I I hope there are bridges. I I think she could do so much good. I know the good she does in other capacities. I'm well, re- I it's yeah. easy to recognize. So you know, it, it this is a little bit like a you know a flaw in in her game, but but you got to do a better job than you have the last couple of days in correcting it. Howard, I got to go, but thank you very much for the time and this perspective today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Greg. Absolutely. Howard Eisenberg, president of the Hamilton Jewish Federation. Yeah, look, again, things aren't necessarily always as they seem. This is somebody that could do more good than harm in the Hamilton community. And I don't doubt she's trying. She says, I'm, I'm here. I fight for the little girl, the little guy. Okay, that's fine. You got to drop the other stuff, plain and simple.